Welcome, welcome to another edition of Bagoons Barrage, the state of New England podcast with me, your host, as always, Jake Donnelly, a.k.a. The Bagoon. Well, of course, I am so happy that you're joining me here this morning, but last night, just wow, uh, if you're a New England fan, both the... Bruins and the Celtics played last night and both lost. One, the Bruins, in a manner that we hadn't seen in a while. Inconsistency from period to period. And the Celtics in a manner that, well, uh, unfortunately has become a little bit commonplace as of late. A great first half, a horrible second half, and it was actually even less than the second half. It was just the final couple of minutes of the third quarter and then maybe the worst quarter of the season by the Celtics. We'll get into all of that. I don't like to start things off on a bad note. Uh, some programming notes first. This will be a book review day. So at the very end of the show, we'll get into a book review that will be a review of J.R. Angelella, I believe is how you pronounce his name, uh, Nobby, uh, that is Novel the Zombie, trying to confuse those two words and mix them up all together, but we'll do a little bit of a book review at the end of this one. Uh, also, later on this week, we will have Jack Abbott, who is a little bit of a Patriots expert, and with Jack, we will be discussing the Patriots and the free agency market um, Malcolm Butler, Dante Hightower, uh, Logan Ryan, he's probably gone, but uh, we'll see if the Patriots can pick up on anybody. There's some grumbling about Adrian Peterson. My goodness, how I hope the Patriots do not pick him up. Adrian Peterson, fantastic running back, maybe one of the best all time. Yes. Will he fit for the Patriots? No. Will we discuss that in today's podcast? No. Will we get to it when Jack is here? Yes. So we'll leave it for when uh, Jack Abbott is here. But don't want to start off this podcast talking about the horrible display put on by the Celtics or the inconsistent display exhibited by the Bruins. In fact, the good news is that we're going for baseball is back. And while this is the State of New England podcast, and normally we would talk about the Boston Red Sox today, we're actually going to go in and talk about the World Baseball Classic, the WBC. Now, normally, uh, people don't watch the WBC, especially when the host countries are places like South Korea, and that means having to get up at 4.30 in the morning to catch the game. But that is exactly what I did, and as many of you know, and if you don't, well, now you're going to know, I'm Jewish. Team Israel is making its first appearance in the World Baseball Classic. So, not surprisingly, I do have a dog in the fight, per se. I hate when people say per se, by the way. That's uh, like the vamp kid from South Park. Mm, your Lord and Savior, mm, per se. But anyways, I do have a dog in the fight in Team Israel. And Team Israel making their first appearance 
all time in the WBC. Now, it sounds much worse when you say first appearance all time. This is only the fourth World Baseball Classic, but it's still, it's the first time that Team Israel has appeared in the World Baseball Classic. They got there by winning a tournament in New York last year. So they're making their first appearance. One of two teams to make their first appearance along with Colombia. Now, Israel is ranked the 41st team in the world. Israelis people in Israel have no, and I mean no, affinity towards baseball. It's just not a sport that they like. They're trying to grow the sport in Israel. It's not really working out all that well. Uh, my most recent girlfriend, when I told her that Team Israel was playing in the World Baseball Classic, I believe verbatim, the text she sent me was something along the lines of, who cares? Let's see if I can pull it up right now. It was uh, pretty funny because I was all excited and she just did not care. It is, oh, yes, it was almost verbatim. She goes, I think it's a little bit weird that you are watching Team Israel and rooting for Team Israel. And I said, why is that? And the response was, just who cares about Israeli baseball? Uh, so apparently Israelis do not care about Israeli baseball. And it shouldn't come as that much of a surprise because the way that the World Baseball Classic, the rules and how to create and produce a roster, you don't have to be from that nation to actually be on that national team. So Team Israel, it's almost all American baseball players that have Jewish backgrounds. So you got guys like Jason Marquis, Gabe Kapler. He's not on the team, but he did a lot of work for them. Uh, Ryan LaVarnway, he's there. Tyler Krieger, who's a minor leaguer. Um, Sam Burcham, I make that Scott Burcham, excuse me. I even, when I wrote the article earlier today, I said Sam and then had to go back and fix that. But Scott Burcham, uh, these are either guys that are completely over the hill in terms of Baseball players that have Major League Baseball experience, guys that when you look at their name, you kind of go, oh, duh, I totally, totally remember that dude. Uh, Sam Fold is one of those that sticks out. He was the guy that was making it seem like highlight reel plays, web jet plays every single game. But in terms of his offense for the Tampa Bay Rays, it never really came around. And right now he's a free agent. But I mentioned... Um, Jason Marquis, Sam Fold, Ryan LaVarnway, Craig Breslow, the reliever that is most known for his work with the Red Sox. These are the names that propagate the Team Israel roster. So it's either these guys that are completely over the hill, the, oh man, totally remember that dude kind of guy, or it is minor leaguers you've never heard of like Tyler Krieger and Scott Burcham. So... Uh, they don't expect a lot out of Team Israel, the 41st ranked team in the world and a team that is making their first appearance. The only other team, by the way, that is making their first appearance in this World Baseball Classic is Colombia. Colombia is ranked 19th in the world and they are the next lowest team. So you've got Israel and Colombia making their inaugural appearance in the World Baseball Classic. Colombia 19th, the second worst team in the WBC, Israel 41st. So you can really see the dichotomy in terms of the talent between Israel and the rest 
of the WBC field. Everybody else is in the top 15. These are good teams, Colombia, and then way down the line is Israel. So nobody expected Israel to do anything in their first World Baseball Classic. And in fact, it was their first game. Their first game was against the number three ranked team in the world in South Korea. But Israel, you know, that tiny little Middle Eastern country that kind of has a tendency to come up big when the rest of the world is really doubting her and kind of rooting against her. Israel, in their first ever World Baseball Classic game, a 2-1, 10-inning victory against South Korea. That guy I mentioned earlier that you've never heard of, Scott Bertram, had an infield single in the 10th inning. And it was more impressive because he had multiple opportunities throughout the game to come up big and was unable to earlier in the game. Now, I can tell you as a former baseball player and as a guy that's seen it so many times as a broadcaster, when you've had opportunity after opportunity after opportunity and you keep coming up empty, doubt starts to trickle into your mind. But give credit to Bertram. He didn't exactly wallop like a double into the gap. It was an infield single on AstroTurf, but he's got some speed, so he was able with guys on first and third to beat out. And it wasn't even a throw, but he beat out the play on a little hopper towards uh, the right side of the second base bag. No play for the second baseman for South Korea. Israel would take the 2-1 lead in the top of the 10th. They would close things out in the bottom of the 10th. So Israel, a team that everybody counted out before the start of the tournament, one game in, one win. However, they then had a really quick turnaround and had to go from the third best team in the world to the fourth best team in the world in Chinese Taipei. But instead of a close game, Israel, it wasn't close at all. They stopped Chinese Taipei 15 to 7. Ryan Lavarway, he had a dinger in that game. And the Israelis, I keep saying Israelis, it's not really Israelis, it's mostly Americans. But Team Israel crushed them. And now in the Pool A, which has South Korea, Team Israel, obviously, Chinese Taipei, and the Netherlands. Team Israel is the only 2-0 team. About 150 different things have to go wrong for Team Israel to not get into the next round. And it's cool. I mean, tossing the politics aside, when it comes to sports, everybody loves an underdog. It is so much fun to root for the team, and to root for the unexpected. That is why people watch sports. And I'll write an article about that, why we watch sports at some point in the near future. But just a quick little breakdown. I mean, come on, guys. You watch games. When it comes to March Madness, are you rooting for the three seed or are you rooting for the 14 seed? I know when I fill out my bracket, I've got at least two 12 over fives. Now, I'm rooting for that because I want my bracket to be good. But at the same time, you want to see the upsets. You want to see things that you do not expect. You want to get the surprise factor. You want to get that adrenaline pumping by just the mere happenstance of watching the game. So... When it comes to the World Baseball Classic, I implore you, if you like baseball, heck, even if you don't like baseball, 
but you still like an underdog story, toss the politics aside. Forget all about that other stuff, especially because this Team Israel is a bunch of American baseball players. So if you want to see the underdog story, if you want to root for a team that was a 200-1 to underdog at the start of this tournament, God, how I wish I put like $100 on that. But if you want to root for the biggest underdog in the tournament, root for Team Israel. It's going to be fun. This World Baseball Classic, it's minor leaguers. It's over-the-hill major leaguers. I mean, heck, Team Canada, as they're Gagne pitching for them. And Gagne hasn't pitched in a Major League Baseball game, I think, in about nine years, if I remember correctly. But I, it's great. It's like the, oh, man, cool. Yeah, that guy. Root for them. And when it comes to teams that you do not have any ethnic background in, of course, I do. But when it comes to some of these teams, root for the underdog. And there is no bigger underdog in the World Baseball Classic than Team Israel. Okay. All right. We got enough of the international stuff out of the way. And now it's time to get into... And, man, I really <laughs> don't want to do this because it was so bad. But now we get into the Boston Celtics, who did not show up uh, against the Clippers. They had that horrible loss against the Phoenix Suns, where they literally threw the game away. Tie game after the Suns, uh, Eric Bledsoe just drove the paint and got the bucket to tie the game up. <sighs> and a bad inbounds pass by Jay Crowder leads to a Tyler Eulis three game over. Celtics lose that one. I talked way too much about it in the previous podcast. But then they show up against the Pistons. Uh, make that the uh, they show up against the Clippers for about uh, two and a half quarters before all things go to poop. Celtics end up losing the game by fourteen. The runs that the Clippers won on were astronomical. At one point, it was a 43-14 to 14 run for the Clippers. Holy shnikes. With 2-11 left in the third quarter, Isaiah Thomas came out of the game. The Celtics were up by six. That's the normal time that Brad Stevens likes to take IT4 out of the game. Up by six, things shouldn't be all that bad. Clippers end, and Jamal Crawford, end the quarter on 11 to nothing run. Not good. Tyler Zeller committed a stupid and one foul at the very end of the quarter. Really seemed to kill any chance or any momentum that the Celtics wanted going into the fourth. <sighs> 41 to 14 run, a total of 54 to 27 over 12 minutes. During that time, and it's not, when you hear this following number, it should be no surprise whatsoever that the Celtics lost this game because they simply decided to forego that whole let's play defense thing. But in 12 minutes of time, the Clippers went on a 54-27 to 27 run where they shot 20 from 33 from the field and even better than that from beyond the arc, 6 of 7 from 3 in a 12-minute span. That's not good. Now, Stuhl Greeny points out on Barstool Sports that when Isaiah Thomas was on the bench, the Celtics' net rating during that streak was a negative 
55. That's pretty bad. If you want to talk about just where the Celtics decided to not play defense, first half against the Clippers, Clippers had 43 total points. In the fourth quarter alone, the Clippers scored 41 points. Holy God. If you prorate that out, and that's even the type of math that I can do, that is 164 points. 41 points in the fourth quarter. It should be no surprise at all how the Celtics lost that game. When you stop playing defense, it's really difficult, really difficult to win games. And the Celtics decided to stop playing defense. That's not good. Avery Bradley, who is still trying to round into form, and he looks pretty good. He had a hellacious dunk in the first half. But A.V. Bradley from downtown wasn't shooting that well. Jay Crowder had an off night, still pulled down double-digit rebounds, and that's something that we should keep an eye on. I've mentioned it a couple of times that he's starting to really crash the boards, and I think getting Avery Bradley back in his rebounding from the guard position is getting everybody else thinking about what they have to do when it comes to the glass. And that's good stuff going forward. The bad stuff, not playing defense. Not playing defense makes it exceedingly difficult to win NBA basketball games. So, not surprising that this Celtics team did not win a game in which they decided to stop playing defense over the final 15 minutes of regulation. Not a winning recipe. Aw, shucks. Okay, so the Celtics sucked, but many people freaked out after the game because Isaiah Thomas was frustrated, and rightfully so. Isaiah Thomas had a very good game, and yet the Celtics lose. When Isaiah Thomas has a good game, the Celtics tend to pull out victory. Marcus Smart had 20 in the game, by the way, in a loss, which continues my theory that when Marcus Smart scores, it is actually bad for the team. He is getting better and better and better and continues to make winning plays. He was the only guy in the second unit that really showed up, but (laughs) it is phenomenal. His splits between wins and losses. We'll do a breakdown of that as we've done on the podcast a couple of times, but I'll do a breakdown of Marcus Smart and his numbers in an article at one point in the near future. But after this game, Isaiah Thomas was very frustrated, and he let it known that this is not the time, 63 games in, when the Celtics had to experiment in terms of lineups. Brad Stevens rolled out a lineup that he had never used before. Uh, Terry Rozier, Marcus Smart, Jalen Brown, uh, James Young, and Jordan Mickey were all on the court in the third quarter at the same time. That was the first time this season. Now, Jonas Jerebko was out with the flu. That's not something you can really uh, game plan for. Al Horford has missed the last two games with an elbow injury. So I can understand why Brad Stevens decided to go super small. And I can understand... Isaiah Thomas's complaint that this isn't the right time to be complaining, or excuse me, that this isn't the right time to be experimenting with lineups, small ball lineups. There was one lineup at uh, a point in the second half where Jay Crowder, who is a three, was essentially the five on the court, and that did not work out well for the Celtics. It just It was a fluky game. These West Coast trips are really awkward and wacky. 
And just sometimes you have to say, okay, the basketball gods didn't want it. Now, I think that's a little bit iffy to say that because the Brew make that the Celtics decided to not play defense at all. That's a problem. Playing defense, you need to do that to win most nights in the NBA. But when it comes to Isaiah Thomas complaining, people are freaking out that your best player is frustrated losing a game. To me, awesome. I want to hear that. I don't want a guy that sounds all roses and rainbows after a loss. I want the guy that takes a half hour after the game, puts a towel on his head, and tries to get his head on straight and is stewing about how his team lost. That, to me, is the sign of a leader. If you don't do that, you don't have a leader. You have a guy that's only in it for himself. Isaiah Thomas played well. He could say, look, I did mine. I provided everything I could for my team to win this game. But you know what? We didn't pull it out, but it's not on me. No, he was saying it's on everybody. That's accountability. Last game against the Suns, he had the same type of post-game comment. Just because a guy is complaining and saying this person needs to be accountable, this person needs to be accountable, does not mean that he's saying I do not need to be accountable. Isaiah Thomas is the type of guy that after wins, he goes, oh, yeah, I may have scored 40 points and 19 in the fourth quarter, but it's Marcus Smart that's making the winning plays. It's Jay Crowder knocking down a big three. It's Avery Bradley stopping Kyrie Irving and popping a three of his own. Thomas is great at deflecting praise. Yeah, he does the fourth quarter wristwatch, it's my time thing. But it seems to really get the other guys on the team going. So I have no problem with that. So everybody, calm the hell down. The Celtics are in second place in the East. They're in a little bit of a rut right now. They play Golden State, which you can probably chalk up to a loss. But then again, the Celtics team plays Golden State hard at home and at Oracle Arena. So maybe this is the Celtics team that we're getting, losing to the Phoenix Suns, losing to a Clippers team that was reeling, and then come back to win against Golden State. Who knows? I wouldn't put money on it, but again, I also wouldn't be all that surprised. So we go from the Celtics and we move on to the Bruins. Not much to say about this one. Uh, Adam McQuaid came back from that nasty David's, uh, David Backus skate to his neck that required 25 stitches. He played well. The Bruins were not good in the first period. Tuka Rask allowed an early goal that seemed to kind of put the Bruins on their heels. This has been a team that has shown an ability to come back, went down under Bruce Cassidy. They actually went down 2 nothing a couple of minutes later on a deflection in front of the net that Rask had no chance to stop. Patrice Bergeron got a goal at the end of the first period to cut it to 2-1. to one. The, uh, the second time this podcast I've done that. Uh, the Bruins would, though, not take that momentum from the end of the first period goal into the second period. They had all sorts of trouble with the Senators' zone and the neutral zone presence. It was just odd. It, it, it was a lot of younger guys in this game that they played like younger guys. This is the first time, in my opinion, with Bruce, uh, Bruce Cassidy as the head coach, that the young guys, Peter Solarik, uh, Brandon Carlo, that they just did not, it didn't look like they were playing at the NHL level. They were slow with their decisions. Their passing wasn't as crisp. I remember a play in the second period where um, David Krejci had a beautiful feed out 
uh, the defensive zone to Peter Solark, tape to tape, and then Solark on what wasn't that hard of a pass just didn't control it. And, you know, sometimes you have off nights, and maybe that's what's happened to both the Celtics and the Bruins. If Solark, who has shown all kinds of offensive ability thus far, if he can't handle a normal pass from David Krejci out of his own end with nobody in front of him and nobody showing that they're going to try to lay the wood, you know what? Maybe you just have those games. And hopefully both of the teams can get things right as the Bruins play Wednesday night and so too do the Celtics. So we'll see if they can both turn things around. So at the end of the previous episode, I said, hey, things here in the state of New England are good but they could be great. Uh, let's, uh, we, have, we have to downgrade it to not good. I won't say awful. I won't say sucks. I'll just say very not good right now, the state of New England. But a win tonight by either one of the teams, and we can turn it back to pretty good. A win by both teams, and it's great. Now that didn't work out last time I said it, so I kind of wish I just didn't say it right there, but you never know. Okay, I mentioned a book review. I read about a book a week, humble brag. And last week, I read this novel called Zombie. Thought it was going to be about zombies, and there was going to be like some big twist at the end. Uh, the novel Zombie by J.R. Angelella. It is a very well-written book. It is an entertaining book because of how well it is written, and it does dive into zombie movies and things like that. It's about a 15-year-old kid. He's a freshman in high school. He's obsessed with zombies. He and his dad are obsessed with zombies. His family has a weird makeup to it with the mom, a pill pusher and whatnot. Uh, the father's got some weird crap going on. This book sucks. It's a well-written, entertaining book. It sucks. Hear this sound? Look, that's me throwing the book to the ground. It sucks. Sucks, 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 sucks. You know what's going to happen, but there's no reason for any of it to happen. You read, how, how long was this? 280, 250? Oh, <laughs> uh, 336. So it's 336 pages. Awful. Awful, 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 awful. Yeah, because he's 15 years old, there's a love story in it. That is actually really good. And, like, as a guy that was awkward in high school, still awkward now, but as a guy that was awkward in high school, that part of the book, really well written. But then you get into the family dynamics, and you kind of understand where he's going with all of this. But you can see what's happening before it happens. You're going, okay, I get it. Something big, blah, 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 blah. And then it happens, and there's no point to it. I do not get this sudden rise in books where I think authors are just trying to get stuff off of their chest. Now, he calls it a chaotic book because the kid has ADHD, and so some of his thoughts is like, boop, 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 and it's fun in how difficult it is to follow. But there's no point to the book. There's Nothing happens. 338 pages, or 34 pages, I said that you could see the big reveal. You can. And even when that something happens, there's no reason for it. There's no point to the entire book. It's 334 pages of nothingness. It is a 
it's an orange book. It's got an orange cover. It's got a weird thing on the front that kind of looks like a Martian bunny. Zombie, a novel by J.R. Angelala. Um, the way that the type is done out, it's like somebody cut the letters out of a newspaper. So if you see this book, orange book, weird alien bunny thing, don't get it. Absolutely stay away from it. I'm not a fan of book burning, but I'm okay with throwing books in the trash. This one, I'm going to throw out. I have books scattered everywhere in my house, in my apartment. This, mm -mm, this goes right in the trash. So bye-bye, don't read that book. Useless. I'm on Lusitania right now, which is a book that's been out for quite some time, and it's wonderful, historical, um, uh, nonfiction. Yeah, okay. Fan of that. That's going to be good. I know what's going to happen in that book, and it's written by a guy who is one of my favorite authors, wrote Devil in the White City. So, yeah, that'll be good. Okay, so while things apparently are awful, Team Israel, good. Celtics, bleh. Bruins, bleh. Zombie book, no. I want to end this on a good note. I had to go to New York City, as I mentioned in the previous podcast, for a multiple sclerosis fundraiser for my friend Lee Kaplan. Uh, climb the rock, going up 67 and a half flights of stairs up to the top of Rockefeller Center. So uh, afterwards, we always day drink. It's wonderful. I pretty much diet for the only time of the year, the two weeks leading up to that, to try to be skinny. Um... So I'm not carrying as much weight, as much muscle. <laughs> humble, again, humble bragging all over the place today. But I'm not carrying as much weight up the 67 flights of stairs. Still did not beat my best time, which was from the first year. But I say all of this because I take the train in and out from New Haven to New York City. So at about 7 o'clock, I took the train back from New York City to New Haven. Now, there was this um, Spanish-speaking family across the aisle from me. And the little girl was jabbering the entire time, like the first 10, 15 minutes of the train ride. I'm tired. I stopped drinking like three hours prior, but you know that like haze when you're coming th uh, back to life when sober. I'm like, I could deal. I, I, I would be very happy with life if she just stopped talking. Well, I give my ticket to the conductor as he finally comes by and does like the click, 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 boom, done. Now, the little girl hands the ticket to the guy, and the conductor, I hear, and he hands the little thing back to the girl, and he has his hands covering the top of it to punch out, like, the destination. And all of a sudden, the girl starts giggling and is so happy. It's like, thank you, thank you. And I think he even said Donata at one point. The guy, the conductor, with the little two-year-old girl, had punched in a smiley face and absolutely made this girl's day. Now, I'm sure he does it all the time, but the reaction of this girl, this little two, two-and-a-half-year-old toddler thing, <laughs> clearly I don't have children, but to go out of his way, all it took for him was five seconds to make this little girl's day. And I think that's a good lesson in life, especially with a guy like me who gets really way too into sports and life and is angry about everything. If you could take five seconds, if you could take two minutes to go out of your way and make somebody else's life better, why don't you do that? All right, that's the final thought for today. State of New England right now, eh, not very good, but maybe both the Bruins and Celtics can turn things around 
in their next game. So that will do it for our latest edition of Bagoon's Barrage with me, your host as always, Jake Donnelly, a.k.a. The Bagoon. I hope wherever you are, you have a wonderful rest of your day. Goodbye from New England, and as always, go New England. Do not touch my fingerprint unstained.